Ahoy, Joe Doyle here. As a former bricklayer turned property investor, I would not be where I am today if I didn't first learn the art of business. Nowadays, a big part of my life is helping other tradesmen grow their business and create wealth by sharing my knowledge, insights, and experience. Welcome to the Tradesman Survival Guide podcast. All of the strategies discussed in my podcast are taken directly from my book, The Tradesman Survival Guide, which is available at www.joedoyle.ie forward slash TSG. TSG, of course, being Tradesman Survival Guide. I wrote a post on the my Facebook page there the other day. Simple, simple post. Um, how can I help you today? And people are just writing different questions um, back in there. So one woman needed a, a, an immersion um replaced um someone else needed a wash machine replaced um somebody asked a question which i'll read now and then somebody wrote back by mailing me back so they'd obviously did ask me a question and i never got back to them somebody looking for a house anyways an interesting po- and people are just writing a bit of nonsense there as well all, all in a bit of crack um somebody says um, the problem is listening to your content on the phone screen. The phone screen must be on. It's very hard when it's in the pocket. So he wanted me to be able to allow him to listen to my content while his phone is on lock screen. And in order to do that, he needed to go and listen to uh, the podcast. So if you're if you're listening, if you're interested in listening to some longer term content, thirty minutes or, or so an episode there where you don't need to go near your phone. The podcast is the way to go. But we're gonna we're gonna handle the question here asked by one of the guys. And I'll read it out. I would love to see you. I would love to see you do a video. I'd love to see a video of you explaining the taxes of renting out a house. I've heard many stories of landlords getting out of the business as they don't make profit after mortgages, after mortgage and taxes. Also, the vetting process of how you'd go about picking tenants. <clears throat> Let's talk about the vetting process of tenants first, right? The ultimate way to vet a tenant in my opinion, is just to go to the house where they are currently living and ask them how long they're living in that property and find out why they're moving out of the property and look at the condition of the property that they're living in um, and the condition that the property, the condition of the property that they're moving out of after three years or five years or whatever the case may be, well, you can bet your life that will be the condition of your property after they're going to be moving out with you. And it's a simple little way. The difficulty with that approach or with that strategy is that it doesn't work for people if you're taking them out of sheltered accommodation or they're literally homeless. Um, so that kind of falls flat on its face. What we found is um, sometimes like if you're helping people who are homeless or, you know, like they're proper homeless, not just like there's homeless as in, they've been renting and they're between houses and then there's homeless as in they literally have nowhere to live they're living in a hostel Um, and you normally find that those guys are homeless not because of a lack of a house although that sounds a bit crazy they're homeless because of something else that's going on in the background sometimes these guys do have sometimes these guys do have issues and it's hard for you to to uh get a handle on that and then yeah i've turned into be i've started to be a counselor in certain instances where um there's all sorts of antics going on in people's lives and then i become part of their life because they're now living in my house and it's all sorts of mad stuff that goes on there so you have to be you have to be careful with with the likes of that so yeah look at vetting the tenants is the simplest way after that then you really need to just use your 
your gut instinct. Um, probably what went against me more times than anything else is I see a guy or a girl or a family and I, I kind of more pity them. I want them to be the right person as opposed to them actually being the right person. And I'm trying to find, I'm just trying to find something going on um, in their personality for me to cling on and say they're good people, give them the house. Um, and to be honest, it's not the right way because I got myself into more hassle than anything else uh, with bad tenants in the past. But that's that's the way it is. I remember one time um, I gave a guy a lift to uh, look at a property and uh, himself and his partner, they'd been on drugs and they were just at the getting their act together. And I'm like, yeah, look, I'll give them a, give them a, give them a shot at the property. In the end, they didn't want the property. I'm like, they're cheeky them fuckers. I'm not they're like, giving them so much time that like it's perfect for them. And uh, then two weeks later, the chap died. I was like, well, I'm glad he didn't die in my property. That would have been a nightmare for me and a nightmare for me to be involved with the family and all that sort of stuff. Um, He just kind of had a relapse back on the drugs. So, look, I, I, I spent a lot of energy and a lot of effort um housing people that are homeless or at risk of being homeless. Um, And at the same time, that's where the homie grief comes from. So it's just mad, but it's just a little kind of a, would you say it's a moral compass pushing you towards pushing you towards that direction. So that's that's enough on the tenants, right? Yeah, tax is like really, really high, yeah, um, on rent. But it's really high everywhere as it is. Anyways, so the way I look at it is, let's just talk about tax, income tax as the ordinary joke soap, right? Um, tax is 50%. That's the way I look at it. Like if I want, you know, if Linda wants a new car and it's 10 grand for a new car, I need to earn 20 grand profit because I pay half in tax and then the other, the other half... I can spend as as I wish, right? And it's the same for everybody, but we've got this small tax band threshold of thirty three thousand eight hundred euros. So basically, up to thirty three thousand eight hundred euros, you pay tax at twenty percent, and then on over that, you pay tax at fifty percent or fifty two percent. I just call it half. I think it's even a little bit more than half. But the way it works out is on your first hundred grand you pay about 40 grand or so in tax and at and over their first 100 grand you pay 50 grand in tax so that's the way, that's the simplest way that that I, I look at it and they're just round numbers and to be honest that's as much info as I need because I'm just plowing on it's half half right um people are, are always like yeah the tax is so high it is high but listen it's high everywhere right and a big mistake I see people making when it comes to their own tax is they're they're trying to stay in the 20% tax bracket, which is crazy because nobody ever got rich on 33,800 quid a year. It's just physically, it's numerically impossible to get rich on, on those numbers. So I always encourage people to get out there into the higher tax bracket as much as you as quick as you can. If you're earning 33 grand, right, and you're on the 20% tax and then you've got rent, you've got a property that you've got rented and you're getting a grand a month for that. Well, then that's deemed as another another thousand quid a month. That's deemed as another 12 grand on top of your income. So you're now not earning 33 grand. You're now earning 45 grand in the eyes of the revenue. The difficulty you have is there may be no money left of the rental property where you collect a thousand quid a month. Make sense? So there'll be no money left, but yet you're pushed into the higher tax bracket, which means you need to top it up even more. And that's what I think throws a lot of people off. Uh, We've got these... uh, PRSI, <clears throat> USC, all these different scams that the government add on to get more money out of us. I don't believe we get anything back from them. 
but they keep telling us we do, you know. Um, but I think that's the big thing that that catches people out is that they're getting a thousand quid a month in rent and they're paying a thousand quid on the mortgage, but yet their tax has gone up because now they're deemed to be in the higher tax rates, you know. So you need to be you need to be careful on that. Um, the other thing where where I see people getting caught out on with the tax is that they believe that because they take in a thousand quid a month and they're only paying out a thousand quid a month, they have no tax liability to break even. The problem is that it's not the case because some of the bills that they pay out of that one thousand euros a month is actually non-tax deductible, right? And I've just got a couple of little notes here, right? So if I just done an example, purchase price two two hundred grand, rent two grand a month. Um, what would you be paying on that? Roughly, you'd be paying a mortgage of nine hundred quid. You'd be paying property tax of around three hundred three hundred fifty quid. Uh, you'd be paying maintenance of around two hundred fifty quid a month. And then we have some more taxes, and I'll talk to you about that. Um, I'll talk to you about the, the taxes in 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 its in its entirety now in a minute. Maintenance, you might be saying, oh, I wouldn't pay two hundred fifty quid a month. Should I go months before the tenant ever rings me? Of course, you go months before the tenant rings you. But then you have a gas boiler that's two grand to get replaced thereabouts. Um, you'll have a bit of maintenance on the roof that need to be done every couple of years. You got these few. You got these bits. You've got these bills that come in every now and then, and they clatter you over. Yeah. So you need to throw a certain amount aside. Um, I think at the minute we're we're putting three fifty per per property per month aside, and that's just key. We we actually broke our maintenance down to uh, maintenance, and then last year we set up an account called a twenty twenty account. Which was stuff we kind of predicted. Like if you've got if you've got ten properties and a gas boiler lasts ten years, well, chances are that works out to one boiler will need to be replaced every year. You might get one year where you don't need it, and then the next year you do two, or you might get clattered over with three. You need to set the money aside, you know. So we set so we're setting aside currently in the office three hundred fifty quid a month per property, but at the same time that's covering some of the property managers' wages and a few other overheads as well, where you wouldn't need to do you wouldn't need to set aside that much. If you had just two or three properties, uh, I'll talk to you just about where the, the kind of the hidden tax comes in here, right? When you pay your property tax, which is three hundred and fifty quid a year, which is not a, a big amount of money, right? But the problem is, it's not tax deductible. So what that means is, let's just say you're left with a profit of three hundred and fifty quid, and then you have to pay. Your, let's say just for the whole year, the only profit you've made is three hundred and fifty quid. And now you get your property tax bill in, which surprise, surprise, is 350 quid. In your eyes, you'd be like, yeah, well, I'll just pay that out of profit, and then I've made no profit, and everything's covered for the year. That's not the case. The reason being, the property tax is not an allowable expense. So you've got 350 quid of a profit. You pay that profit towards the property tax. Because that 350 is not an allowable expense, the revenue will say, hey, you've still made a 350 quid profit there. We want half of that. So you're now in a situation where you've actually got zero money in your bank. You've got zero profits on that property, but you still need to pay tax on the, the 350, which was the notional profit. On the actual LPT, the local property tax, it's a payment that goes out once a year. It's not really the end of the world. Um, if you manage it, if you manage it correctly, like we got we got hit with our, our bill there the other day. They deferred the property tax from being collected um, up until in the last couple of days, and we had to actually just this week we had to pay it. So we paid our, our property tax. It was a few grand, a good few grand. Um, but that's not an allowable expense, which is the which is a, a bit of a kicker, you know. Um, outside of that, 
the next thing that you need to look at is the mortgage, right? So the way it works is when you borrow money off a bank, they give you 200 grand as we use here for the example. Well, you don't just pay 200 grand back to them. The 200 grand is the amount that they've loaned you. That's called the principal amount or sometimes it's called a capital amount. I actually call it a capital. Uh, it's called a capital amount. And then they charge you interest. And a 200 grand mortgage, you'd be actually shocked if you heard it, when you hear this, if you don't know, but a 200 grand mortgage over 25 years, you'd probably pay it back about 320, 330 grand. I could run the numbers there now and let you know exactly what it is. But you pay a colossal amount of interest over the lifetime of the mortgage, right? Now, every month, it's not as if they take back all the 200 grand that they've loaned you, which is the capital. So it's not as if they take back the capital first and then they charge you the interest. Every month, they charge you a little bit of capital and a little bit of interest. Now, the interest that you pay to the bank, that is... At the moment, that's allowed as 100% tax deductible. Simple, easy, boom, right? Um, you paid 500 quid interest, you get an expense, you're, it's an allowable expense of 500 quid, and that's the end of it, right? The capital that you pay back, so in this instance here, I'm saying that you're paying back a repayment of 900 quid a month, right? In that 900 quid, you're probably paying back 650 interest, and 250 capital right which means every time you pay 900 quid back to the bank your mortgage balance comes down by 250 which is a bit demoralizing in itself when you see how hard you have to work to pay your mortgage and it only comes down by a little bit the 650 allowable as an expense no problem easy peasy the 250 is not an allowable expense so like what i was using as the example with the local property tax there they view that as profit which means you have to pay the tax on that again so if i was paying capital of 250 quid well that's 250 quid from an after-tax amount so i need to pay the same 250 again so what you actually do is when you're adding up your monthly outgoings your mortgage your maintenance you have to actually add in an amount for the tax on the capital of your mortgage if that makes sense you know so the way we work it is just to keep it loose numbers whatever you pay in capital you need to set aside the same amount again now i've been shout out this stuff for people for years and then they go off and they do deals and and then they come back and they're like oh i'm not making any money on the deal i'm like yeah no you're not i could see like within literally 30 seconds of you presenting the numbers that you weren't going to make any money on the deal the way i've got two kind of two um two rules of thumb yeah always aim for one percent per month so whatever you buy a property for make sure you get one percent of that value back in rent every month so that means if you pay 200 grand you must get two grand a month if you pay 150 grand you must get at least 100 at least 1500 a month and if you pay 100 if you pay 100 grand you must get a grand a month if you don't aim for those numbers um you're goosed right you're going to get caught out there later on and then people will be like oh yeah well that's different for you up in dublin that's different for listen it's not different because the rent is more expensive in dublin but the houses are a hell of a lot more expensive as well, right? So the real thing you need to be careful of here is your yield. So you're looking for a 12% yield, which equates to 1% rental income every month based on the purchase price. Simple as that. So when I'm looking at a deal, I'm like, is that 12%? If it's not 12%, I ain't going near it. And will I go after a deal if it's not 12%? Yeah, I will, yeah. Um, but that's the benchmark. But there has to be a bit of justification as to why I would go after property. So you might be buying something with a bit of a sight on it, or you might be, there might be a bit of an upside of some sort. Whatever the case may be, you go up and you have a look at it. But that's the benchmark, 12%, you know. Um, the, another simple way of looking at it is, um, if whatever you pay 
on your mortgage if you add 50% to that. So if your mortgage is a grand, if you add 50% to that, which is 1,500 quid, now this is very crude, right? But it works bang on, right? Which is which is mad, right? So if your 1,000 quid a month is your mortgage or payment, add 50% to that, which is another 500, it's 1,500 quid. That's your break-even point per month, and that allows you a little bit for your maintenance as well. Simple as that. So whatever the mortgage is, stick 50% on it. So if your mortgage is two grand, you need to stick 50% on top of that again, which is another thousand. So now you're at three grand and anything over and above the three grand that you get will cover your your expenses on the property. If it's 800 quid, add another 400 onto it. And then adding over the 1200 quid you get is is uh, disposable income from, from that property. Uh, it's hard enough to make the numbers work, to be honest, in a lot of instances. And Look, I do a bit of business coaching. Well, I do a bit. Of, I do a good bit of business coaching. That's my one of my main businesses um, these days. But I do a little bit of business. Or I do a little bit of property training. I've got a small group of people, about thirty clients there, right? Um, the problem for most guys is they can't find the deals and they can't make it work, and they, they're lacking it. They're lacking just a few little things to to get their deals over the line. And I'm pushing them all the time. One percent a month, or don't go near it. One percent a month, or don't go near it. And then sometimes people get agitated or they get pissed off because I'm telling them not to do certain deals. Um, and then they might go and do a deal and the problem is a core ball comes in and you're left tight then, you know. That's that's really what it is, you know. We've been, we're ramping up there. You might have heard me talking about Joe's Investment Bank. So we are, we are caught between two, the bank of Joe and Joe's Investment Bank. So we're ramping up now. And we're getting like, we're actually getting better at what we do um, in that we're not doing any bigger deals but we're just doing the same deals and more and more of them. So I don't know what our deal number is at now, this part, and we're just beyond halfway through the year, but we're definitely on seven or eight deals for the year, which is good. So we're doing one a month now, which is good, and we want to keep going. But my plan now over the next one, because there's so many people approaching me, looking for me to help them with their property investing, and I'm look, I'm, I'm happy to help them, there's no problem. Um, The difficulty is most of them, don't really get the results, you know. So uh, we're looking at putting a package together where someone comes in, look, Joe, I want to do a deal. Right, listen, I'll do the deal for you. You can bring something to the table. You can bring a bit of cash. You can bring a mortgage. You can bring something. So we're looking to do it by way of more of a joint venture because a lot of the lads are losing heart and they're getting kind of, they're getting demotivated before they get the first deal over the line. So we're always looking at ways where we can improve our business. We can be uh, of more value to our clients as well. And it's all it's all good stuff, you know. Like at the end of the day, people are always going to need somewhere to live. They're always going to need somewhere to live. Um, just Yeah, taxes get brought in, this and that. And you do need to be careful. And there's a lot of landlords exiting the market all the time. I'm a little bit different, so it probably sounds a little bit hypocritical. Like, we're going out and we're doing more and more. Look, I'm, I'm 36 years of age, so I can do this for another 30 years, right? I've got plenty of juice in the tank here, right? Um, the problem is when guys get a little bit older and the uh, legislation gets more stringent and tenants start wrecking their heads and they're like, you know what, I'm just getting out of it, right? That's really what it is. The market has changed so much that a lot of the guys are now disincentivized to be in there. Where I'm like, look, I'm going to plow in. You know, I'm going to just plow on. I'm going to do as many deals as I can. And I get closer to my completing my mission and keep going at it. The challenge or the difficulty at the minute is we've got an interesting scenario going on there. Um, the property, the 
The Residential Tenancies Act is the the law that governs the relationship between tenants and landlords and all that, and that's enforced by the RTB. There's a crazy thing. Maybe I'm just paying attention to the wrong thing, or I'm paying attention to to the to I'm paying attention to it too much, but. I don't particularly have much faith in the RTB. They seem to be very pro-tenant all the time. And if a tenant gets awarded damages against the landlord, the land the tenant does get the money. If the landlord gets awarded damages against the tenant, the tenant does a burner and you've no chance of getting the money. So I'm very skeptical of how they operate in the RTB. However, I'm looking at these tenant activists and they're also skeptical of the RTB. So it's like nobody trusts the governing body there, which is which is absolutely crazy, you know. So there's a lot of animosity in the marketplace there at the minute between, um, I suppose it's at a high level. There's no animosity with us in, in our, like we've got an amazing group of tenants and we've gone really, really well. We had a lot of problem tenants at one stage and you no know, tenants with problems and they cause more problems for us. But luckily enough now we've got, got a really good group of tenants. The problem going forward in the marketplace is I believe it's turning into a kick the landlord economy, right? Taxing for this, taxing for that. Um, at the minute now, there's legislation coming out that says you can't be put out of your house until January, even if you're not paying rent, right? Now, I know a couple of landlords where the tenants are simply paying them nothing and the landlords are expected to make the mortgage repayments, right? And these guys are going to end up losing our property or their property or a couple of properties, but the law is now against them, you know? So I I just think that we're going to be going into a situation where the kick the landlord economy is going to get more strict, right? There's going to be more landlords live and the housing crisis is going to actually get worse. Well, I don't even call it a housing crisis. I'd call it a rental crisis because I don't believe there's an actual shortage of houses in Ireland. I believe there's a shortage of rental accommodation um, at an affordable level in certain parts of the country. As soon as you move out to the country and out of the cities, there's plenty of plenty of stock available. Uh, but people don't want that. They want to be in the city, you know. So I think over the next maybe three years, I think things are going to get a lot tougher for landlords. That's been very, very honest, you know. Um, and when it gets tougher for landlords to be no investment, to be no landlords coming in, and what's going to happen then on the back of that, in my opinion, is it's going to be a bigger squeeze on the rental sector, right? Because the supply will go down. Because bear in mind, anytime a house gets sold, that's a rental house, it gets sold to a homeowner, right? Because there's no more landlords coming in. And I think it's going to get worse and it's going to be a bigger squeeze. And the the political appetite is there at the minute to kick the BJs out of the landlords. Um and I think one day someone's going to turn around and say, listen, we're going to need to do something for these landlords. They're going to turn around. They're going to incentivize us back into the market. And then when they incentivize us back into the market, the landlords are going to be seen as the people who's now buying the houses to make them available to people on the hap or just rent them out. Because at the minute, like, it's crazy. If, you, if you're a landlord and you accept hap, you're seen as an enemy of the state. You know, you're, you're called a parasite. I'm like, hold on a minute. I'm buying a house. And I'm giving it to the government to rent it to someone else. And the person that's living there, they're effectively getting the house for free. But the per, you know, but I'm renting it. I'm buying it and I'm collecting rent from the government. And now, you know, it's just it's a mad, mad vibe out there at the minute, you know. So what'll happen is that will get worse and then it will get better. And I think a little bit of equilibrium will come into the market then at that stage. I hope it does, to be honest, because I, I I've seen the 
seeing the attitude change towards landlords over the last little while, and uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, it's it's mad stuff. Uh, look, I I I get me fair bit of fair bit of grief over from time to time, but uh, maybe maybe I deserve all that. I put my neck out there to be. Uh, <laughs> I've raised my head up to uh to, to for people to take shots at it. You know, but look at the end of the day, once you're doing the right thing, and the right thing in my opinion is providing good quality accommodation to people who deserve it and respect that and treat it well. Um, overall, we'll we'll be doing okay. Um. What I would say to people is, if you're considering getting into property, buying one house is probably not the best idea in the world. If you're getting in, try and make a plan to get in and buy five houses. But you don't buy five houses um, at once. You buy five houses over a period of time. And the reason for that is, if you've got one tenant and that one guy doesn't pay you rent, well then 100% of your tenants are not paying their rent. Whereas if you've got five properties and one guy doesn't pay his rent, well now you've only got 20% of your rent not getting collected and at least you have other money coming in. So like the bigger you get, the easier it gets, if that makes sense. So for example, um, in our office there, we're managing a good few properties now. There's always arrears payments coming in. So we probably have, say, five grand's worth of uncollected rent every month. Now you collect it the following month and there might be some reason why somebody got disconnected off the social or it's always something right if you only had one property and they they your tenant was in that kind of group you'd be you'd be snookered where we can just shoulder it and we know we catch up on it the next day and also our maintenance cost is very high per property at the minute but within that maintenance cost we've got a property manager so his wages are basically getting paid out of the maintenance money right now what that will do for us is whilst it's more expensive at the minute, it means I personally don't need to respond to any of the damages or any of the, the breakages or the maintenance that happens in any of the properties. And we could probably double our portfolio um, based on that one property manager being there. So after we get over this initial hump, our maintenance costs will be cheaper per property than somebody who has two or three properties then, you know. So at the minute we're paying more. But, you know, it's like... As your business grows, you need to put a layer of management. So you've got those doing the work and then you've got those watching those who are doing the work. So if you're a landlord and you're just starting off, you'll be just doing the work. Whereas as your portfolio grows, then you'll be watching those who are doing the work. And that that just adds in a, another layer of cost there, you know. So uh, look, that's the story, guys. Just simple rule of thumb. Aim for 1% per month and outside. And if anybody wants any help with that, feel free to give me a shout. You can catch me on info at joedoyle.ie. You can send me a message on my Facebook page. I'm fairly contactable. I'm 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 on I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok, and I'm at info at joe.ie. So you can catch me anywhere. Um I do believe that everybody should go out and make a go of it, you know, and at least at least go and learn. You know, learn, do something. Um I, I think everybody should have uh, four rental properties plus their own home paid for in full. I think that's what they should do. And that gives a good base of wealth for uh, for future generations to add to them, you know. So, guys, listen, I will leave that with you. Thank you very much for uh, listening, for watching, and I'll see you at the top. So, folks, that concludes another episode of the Tradesman Survival Guide podcast. Don't forget that all of the tactics and strategies discussed in today's podcast are from my book, The Tradesman Survival Guide, which is available to buy online at www.tradesmanservivalguide.com joedoyle.ie forward slash tsg 
TSG being of course short for the Tradesman Sir Boy Begoid. <laughs>